So, uh, did she, uh, did she try to fuck you? No. No, me neither. I mean, I wouldn't feel that bad about it, but she tried it with the fish people. A Frontier. These are the voyages of the podcast Captain's Slug. It's ongoing mission to explore strange new episodes, to seek out new jokes and new references, to split infinitives that no one has split before. Captain Slog, Stardate 44. These are the continued adventures of me, Eddie Edwards, and my good friend and colleague, Mr. Mark Bench, as we trek our way through all of Star Trek. Um, anyway, Mark, how have you been in this horrified period of enforced mourning? <laughs> uh, I have, uh, I've been mourning my own diet, uh, largely, because <laughs> I finally decided, after, um, as what should be, I mean, last week you met my, my wonderful... Uh, fantastic, wise fiance, and in what I think has already been brought up several times in this podcast before, uh, for months, months and months and months and months, she's been saying, "You have a gluten intolerance, like because you're not fat, you're just bloated and you poop all the time and it's and it's horrible and you're all that's right." And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." And then my friend came round a couple of weeks ago and went. I think I have a gluten intolerance, and he told me about it, and I went, ah, yeah, I've, yeah, I've got that. Uh, so I got, I got that second opinion. Uh, which, so I am, for the last few weeks, uh, sorry, for the last few days, I've been going non-gluten, and motherfucker, it's hard. And I, I, I don't mean hard, like, psychologically. Like, I actually feel fine. I actually feel really good, even after just a couple of days. Like, physically, my body is like, oh, my God, finally, he's been listening to the only person he listens to less than his own fiance, which is his own body, um, <laughs> and uh, a bit, a bit like we we went to see girl from the north country. I say we. I watched the first fifteen minutes, went out to the lobby to go on my phone for twenty minutes, and then came back in and went. I can't watch the rest of this. This is. <laughs> I, I get why you. I get why people might like this, but this. This is like if the color brown was a musical. <laughs> Every choice they made seems to be the least interesting one. Uh, so I, so luckily my brother was there, and I literally just went to the pub and read The Hobbit. Um, so anyway, but but before that, we were like, let's go and get dinner. We were going to go to this Korean place. We went in and we were like, what do you have that's gluten-free? And the, the manager just like kind of gritted her teeth and went, yeah, no, nah, nah. <laughs> like... Not this cuisine, mate. Uh, you're gonna, you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to cut this out. This is ridiculous. It's a key, a key part of what is most cultures consider a staple food. Yeah, uh, has gluten in, so it's very difficult to avoid. But yeah, it's always good though when you find out that like little thing, like something that's like, um, like Emma had it for years. She's had like a bunch of health problems, and then she went to see uh, a chiropractor about some issues with her back, and it was like just immediately she was like, "Oh, I'm not in pain anymore." 
And now because I'm not in pain, my body's not constantly trying to combat the pain. So yeah. the knock-on effects are just sorting every little thing out. Yeah, it's always always good when you can do that when you work out. Because I love when you see like a post of somebody on like fucking live and they're like, "Oh, I hate oranges. They make they always taste like burning." And then it's followed up by another like tweet where it's like, "So I found out I'm allergic to oranges." <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it truly has. I mean, obviously this podcast gets woker by the second, but um, <laughs> it, it truly has given me quite a lot of empathy for because Laura's uh, cousin. Laura's family tree is quite complicated. Uh, Laura's cousin is like proper celiac. Like, like, like. Oh yeah. We we were on holiday and she ordered a Sunday and they brought the Sunday out and it had a cookie on it and she went, I can't have that. And he went, We'll take the cookie off. And she said, No, you need you, you need to make it again. Like, <laughs> like you you can't. You don't just take it and then take the cookie off. Like I will get seriously seriously ill. You you can't. I need a fresh one. Um. And obviously, as a human being, I was like, oh, that's pretty sad. But now, you know, yeah. now that it's happened to me, I really give a <laughs> shit. Um, There's, the thing with celiacs, I always feel bad for them because the whole... So gluten intolerance is a thing that does exist. It, but it's not as... A lot of people... There are a lot of people out there who say they've got it because it's kind of become a weird, trendy thing. But what happened was people who have celiac disease have to have special food made. So the food was made and it turned up in shops and it said gluten-free. And people assumed that was like a health thing. So they jumped on the fad. And that means that prices of gluten-free foods kind of went down for like celiac people, which is a real benefit. But the downside is that when celiac people are in a restaurant and say, I can't have gluten all that the wait staff and everybody in the kitchen do is roll their eyes and it's yeah. like no there's i get that but I, I get that what i know what you're thinking but i will die <laughs> yeah 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 totally um, yeah because it, it's kind of a thing like it doesn't like obviously i'm not that bad like it hasn't killed me thus far it just makes me really sad and angry and fat uh and burgers like i personally i think the burger is the single greatest contribution Mankind has made to the universal collective unconscious. Oh, yeah, invented by Kim Jong Il. Uh, All right, you believe North Korean propaganda. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, which I'm, I'm, I exclusively do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, best podcast pro North Korea. Um, so I'm, I'm not, I'm not going crazy. I'm, I'm not going to be like, I'll never have gluten again. Like, no, I'll save myself up for a nice burger. Or if I'm having a day where I'm really sad and don't have anything to do later, I will order a Burger King. It's fine. Yeah. Like, I, it yeah. just, it just makes me, you know, it makes my belly sad. But as a, you know, I, I ignore that bastard all the time. So, um, but, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's whatever. It is what it is. I'm I'm super lucky in that I have um, a, a very uh, not particularly rare but it's a, a thing which is um, I get transferred pain from indigestion, mm-hmm. which means um, if I eat something that's really spicy, um, my stomach's fine, but my shoulder really hurts. And what I've realised <laughs> is I don't care enough about my shoulder hurting to stop me eating Nando's. <laughs> I'm kind of I so I uh, like my relationship with. Uh, I mean, I, I probably I probably shouldn't admit it here because whoever the current Home Secretary is might confiscate my passport. Um, but my my relationship with um, something that I smoke, I'm not going to say what it is. <laughs> the Hobbits enjoyed it in Lord of the Rings. Is oh, I get like my relationship with that is questionable. Like I really need to stop and take a look at myself and and how I 
work with it, etc. Right. Um, but the, the main problem is that I get serious, serious like Scooby Doo level munchies. Like I, like I, I get stoned the way that people who have never been stoned write stoned characters in films. Yeah. Like I'm just like, <laughs> what do we have in this kitchen? It's simply not enough. Um, but because now I'm like, well, I don't want to do that because I know what I'll immediately do is order a McDonald's. I'm like, well, guess weed's out. Oh. And by weed, of course, pretty Patel. I mean the things that grow in my garden. What a it's what not pretty Patel anymore. It, it it weirdly got worse. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> have you? Oh, by the way, just to, to say, I, I know neither of us watched it, but there, have you have you seen the clip of uh, the Australia News's coverage of the funeral? where they, somebody gets out of a car, walks in, and they're like, I don't know who this is. It's probably some minor royal, really, at the the, the tail end now of the dignitaries coming in, and it's Liz Truss. <laughs> That's, uh, oh. I think, I don't know if, I say, if we said this last week, but it's going to be a really interesting pub quiz question in about 10 years. Who was the Prime Minister when the Queen died? And yeah. no one will know. Yeah. I might God, ask oh, that uh, this week, see if anyone knows. <laughs> Who is Prime Minister now would probably yeah. not get you a 100% response rate. Uh. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, yeah, speaking of gluten-free, though, uh, f- <laughs> fish people. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to... I think I can sum up my feelings on this episode, Mark, by telling you what two tabs I currently have open on Chrome. Uh, I have... A tab open asking what the, uh, where I typed into Google what the air date of this episode is, and it was June 1989. And I also have a, another tab opened to the Wikipedia page for Gene Roddenberry, where I've scrolled down to the the section called Health and Decline, <laughs> <laughs> where I can thankfully confirm that in September of this year, G, uh, this year 1989, Gene Roddenberry will have his first stroke. Uh, I don't think we agree on this, man. I I actually quite liked this episode. I I thought it was a nice little episode. (laughs) It had some really fun little Riker moments. We we got some really nice little Riker reactions. I actually think Loxana Troy is quite a lot of fun. I I don't. Uh, And I I, I, I think, I think that a lot of people working on on this episode put in a lot of effort to make this the most palatable version of Gene Roddenberry's terrible idea for an episode. (laughs) Well, uh, what I looked into is that originally this episode was supposed to be a Dixon Hill episode. And someone turned out... Because Tracy Tormey, I think think it is. I've only ever seen uh, their name written down. But Tracy Tormey, this is the last episode that they wrote for Star Trek, even though they wrote some of the better episodes earlier in this couple of seasons. Because they wrote this brilliant episode about Dixon Hill, and then the boss man came in. Not the boss man, not Gene. But I, I don't know if it was Rick Berman said, look, it's the boss's wife. She does it once a year. It's got to be this one. You, you've got we, to, we've got to episode 19. We haven't put her in yet. You've got to, we're, not, we're, not, we're not teaming her up with the Borg. You've, you've got to slot her in somewhere. Because we can't put her with Q. <laughs> can't have her overshadowed. So... Um, yeah, so apparently the Dixon Hill aspects of this episode are just because it 
we'll get into the plot of the episode in a bit, but but part of the plot of this episode is that Picard is trying to play a Dixon Hill adventure and just can't seem to make it work. Um, it, which it, I think it, is a bit meta. He he keeps pausing the game because dangerous things happen in his film noir adventure. Um, I I'm, I'm just gonna say I'm just gonna say this. Um, screw Picard is what I would be what I believe the term is a safe scummer. Uh, <laughs> somebody who would like uh, Picard couldn't play Dark Souls. No. Now I've I've not attempted to play Dark Souls, but I I have played Bloodborne for like twenty minutes and. I didn't actually find it particularly challenging, um, but there was random mates, and it was the first bit. So maybe I'm completely wrong about Soulsborns. I also so obviously a guy a guy walks in, he whips out a gun on Picard. Picard says no, too violent. Next guy comes okay. in, tries to str- strangle him, whips out. That's too violent. Next guy comes in, machine gun. I refuse to believe <laughs> that whatever fictional noir writer wrote the Dixon Hill stories didn't have a single story that started with. A sexy 1930s broad walking in and saying uh, yeah. that she needs to find her, lo- her lost husband. Red-headed femme fatale yeah. walks into the room. Uh, you know, she you know, she she looked like trouble. Uh, like say like that, you know. It's fairly of all, of all the private eyes and all the city of yeah. she had to walk into mine, etc. Yeah. Um of that guy who does walk in with the gun. Uh, not with the knife, but with the gun and with the machine gun. Um that character's name is Slade Bender, which I did make a note of because it's brilliant. Yeah. But I think we should also point out it is the a somewhat, I would say somewhat legendary character actor, Robert Costanzo, who, um, oh, yeah. if you don't uh, know him, um, you're probably most, if, you, if you're young, he's Joey's dad in Friends. And if you're um, slightly older, he's in Total Recall and Die Hard 2. Uh, <laughs> yes, he's the cop's brother. Of the other uh, cop, that she's a traffic cop. Yeah, yeah. Merry and, uh, Christmas. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and he's also the, uh, in Total Recall, he's the guy who's like Arnie's work colleague, who's like, oh, you don't want to go to Recall. Um, which is, depending on your read of Total Recall, either makes him a true friend who had the right idea, or a shadowy government agent. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's, there's a really good YouTuber called uh, Rowan J. Coleman, uh, and if you're a Trek fan and you're listening to this, you've probably found him already, because he does really in-depth retrospectives of, like, feature-length retrospectives of the various Trek series. But he's oh. kind of finished now, because he obviously done from Trek up to Enterprise, and then the up to Star Trek Beyond, and then he said, I'm going to stop here, because I can't really retrospect something that isn't done, and the culture hasn't decided really what it is. Uh, so he's moved on to doing other things, and he does a really good retrospective series about the Verhoeven trilogy, Robocop, Total Recall. And the Starship Trooper, Troopers one came out the other night, and it's 25 minutes long, and I'm so excited. Uh, this is my life in my 30s. I'm really excited to hear a Scottish guy who just shares my own opinions talk about how I feel about Starship Troopers. Uh, I will I will bring up what I have to bring up every time that Starship yeah. Troopers is brought up, which is Browse Held High have a fucking series of reviews going into the in-depths of Starship Troopers, which is clocks in at around four hours. And it's it's the first video is an hour of just a retrospective of Verhoeven. And then, no, sorry, of, of a Heinlein, the guy the book, whose book it is. The second one is just an hour that's a retrospective on Verhoeven. And then in the third video, he starts to review Starship Troopers, <laughs> which is, I, I introduced Starship Troopers to, to Emma. 
and I was like saying it's a miracle this movie got made he only really got away with it because the studio management changed five times and nobody knew what he was doing yeah and I was watching it there's a certain point in this movie where um, the producers were watching the first cut and they got furious and nearly like pulled it from the cinema and like pulled it from being released uh, and I, I, was, I was like guess wait and see if you can guess what moment it was and the moment Neil Patrick Harris walks in dressed essentially as an SS officer yeah. she was like what was it then I was like yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's uh, I mean he, like Paul Verhoeven is a genius but he must obviously be a genius at pitching because there's no way you could walk into any office in Hollywood, especially in the mid-90s and say, I want to make a movie that's basically a 90s action movie if it had come out in a universe where the Nazis won. Yeah, I want yeah. to I want to make fun of the inherent right-wing fascist propaganda that is American action movies by saying the quiet bit out loud. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. Can I can I do that? And they're like, well, you made RoboCop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And that was a fun movie about a robot cop or something. I don't really know. Right? Yeah, there's, no, there's no politics there. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I don't understand why that that board member was the bad guy. Surely it was all them criminals that they kept throwing through the police station. Oh man, RoboCop's such a great film. Yeah, but yeah, I think we we got off topic there. Uh, yeah, Robert Costanzo's in this episode. I think we need to address before we move on because if anybody's watched this, this is one of the bits of Star Trek trivia that I think everyone knows. One of the fish guys in this is Mick Fleetwood, <laughs> <laughs> which is which is George Clooney doing the voice of Sparky the gay dog in South Park levels of yeah. like I I want to be in your show. Can I be in your show? Yes. Can you can like? Do you want to wear a fish costume and be a weird alien? And Mick Fleetwood, presumably, that's that's all I that's all I ever wanted. Well, I was, I was looking into this. I have a quote from Fleetwood here. Uh, quote: I always loved Star Trek. I played an Antidean, half man, half fish. Not that it was a huge part, but I loved that I could be part of it in some shape or form. I shaved my beard to put all the prosthetics on. I said, "I'll shave my beard off if you promise me that I get to beam down." or beam up. At least one of those things, either up or down, you've got to promise me that it's in the script. And they do. They beam me down into the ship. So I shaved my beard off and I had a lot of fun. Um, so I, 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 don't mean, know. I, I, I completely get it though. Because like if somebody from Star Trek came to me and were like, like well, we know you're, you, you somehow got famous. And they're like, oh, we know you're a fan. Uh, do you want to be in an episode? And I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll do anything. He's like, right, we need somebody who's good. We need a GAC salesman. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, can you slop some gack into a tin? One hundred percent, I would do that. <laughs> so, there's a story about Samuel L. Jackson. I, I don't know if it's apocryphal because I've heard conflicting takes on how this happened, but this is the story I want to be true. So, back in like 1997, for whatever he was promoting, uh, he went on TGI Friday with Chris Evans, which was like a kind of like a late night Friday night talk show here in the UK uh, with a radio presenter it was actually really funny I really liked it but he's Chris Evans said what's your dream role and he said I want to be in Star Wars he said I I don't give a, I don't care if I'm underneath a stormtrooper helmet I don't care if anyone knows that it's me I just I have to be in these movies apparently the next day 
someone from Lucasfilm saw that and said, do you really want to be... In, you You can be in fucking Star Wars if you want to be in Star Wars. And he was like, oh, oh no, that's... no that's what, So on the show, he said, um, yeah, I'll be like the first black Jedi. Like, uh, And I think he said, like, I'll, I think he even said, I'll have a purple lightsaber, I'll have bad motherfucker on it. Um, <laughs> but uh, but I have to be in it. So the Star Wars called him up and he said, I don't care if I'm under a Stormtrooper helmet. I you got to put me in this. And they got him in and yeah. made him maze window. Yeah, I think the original quote is like, "I would play a grain of sand to be in that movie." And yeah. then they, they, and then, and then, and then, and then, and then okay. And this is directly from the Red Letter Media reviews of the like uh, the the prequel trilogy. And it's it's not a, a, a right to 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 put this in the parlance of movie executives. Urban audiences don't tend to go watch Star Wars movies. So George Lucas saw an opportunity. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. You know, I can get black people to what, give a fuck about a Star Wars movie. Samuel L. Motherfucking Jackson. <laughs> um, see, uh, I, I was, just before we came on air, I was telling you that Laura showed me Dirty Dancing for the first time, and I absolutely fell in love with it immediately. Um, but I was looking up its kind of legacy and stuff, and uh, it, so Dirty Dancing is often referred to in pop culture as Star Wars for girls, but. In 2007, Sky Movies done a poll to find out what are like women's most watched movies. Number one, Dirty Dancing. What do you think was number two? Was it Star Wars? It was fucking Star Wars, yeah. <laughs> Star Wars is for everyone. Star Wars is Star Wars for everybody. There's a picture floating around of somebody like cosplaying, like somebody in costume for Halloween as a... Um, I, it's a girl and she's dressed as a uh, t- uh, X-Wing pilot. And somebody's just putting the things like, this was pre... Like it's a, it's a, it's like an image perfect, and it's like she had to go to the cinema with a notebook and a torch so she could take notes of the and like knowing that this this only appears on screen for like fucking ten minutes total in the film. Yeah. So and it's yeah, it's people like pe- nerds are, are of all stripes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they could be somebody like any Mick Fleetwood could be a fucking fish man. Uh, yeah. Kelsey Grammer shows up in like TNG later on because he was a huge fucking fan as well. Like, just it's there's like I love that about Star Trek that it, even with TNG, like it's still we can you can still kind of call it early Star Trek because it's really only the second Star Trek series. But already by that point, Star Trek was important enough that there's enough people out there that you get these weird cameos where people just like Stephen Hawking's in an episode. Yeah, it's like of course he fucking is. <laughs> Talk, talking about the the the, the last that, that done that. Um, so I've just pretty much finished. I've, I'm about ninety percent there. I've basically just finished my proton pack build. Oh. And uh, yes, I'll show you it later. Uh, and. Uh, the so all of the parts of the proton pack have names and all of those names were just came up by the fans in the 80s and 90s who watched the movie tried to recreate it and then well we have to communicate to each other what these bits are called so they just came up (laughs) with like how how it works and what all the bits are called apparently dan Aykroyd isn't super on board with it because in afterlife they refer to some of the parts like the cyclotron um and dan Aykroyd. Like, wasn't he huge on board? Because Dan Aykroyd knows exactly how a proton pack would work. <laughs> like, there's a yeah. bit, there's a bit in the special features where he walks in and he sees a redone Ecto One, and he's like, "Oh my god, this is gorgeous!" And instead of looking at the body or the paint job or the spectacular restoration job that they've done, he immediately looks at the roof and goes, "Oh, there's the spectronomizer, and there's the this, and there's the that." 
yeah, he if there's uh, it's like there's a special feature on the game, uh, the A Ghostbusters game, where he's looking at like the roof and he literally points to a part and goes, "That's the such and such device," um, which is actually super easy to invent. The real trouble was getting minimised to the point where it could peep up a car, which took Spengler like, uh, and he's like, Doctor Spengler did uh, took about two years to work that out, and he's just like, yeah, it's like Dan Aykroyd exactly has worked out the science of how to capture ghosts, which I, I cannot emphasize enough aren't real <laughs> yeah he's like he's gone on record several times whenever people ask him about the technology of ghostbusters he's like yeah that would work yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if assuming it's based on a hell of an assumption and that assumption is it would work if ghosts work the way i think they do yeah uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a bit like but at the same time it's a bit he's a bit like when i say on the spectrum i i, I don't mean that he's on the same spectrum as harrison ford where it's like, look, Harrison Ford was Rick Deckard, Han Solo, and Indiana Jones. If that guy comes on your talk show and just wants to talk about carpentry joints, do it, right? Yeah. Dan Aykroyd, if if ever he came in and he went, do you want me to speak at great length about how a proton pack actually works? I'd be like, please, just can I record this so I can listen to it every night before I sleep? <laughs> Right, okay. I'd be like, yeah, you could of course start doing that, but please understand that there will be a point during your talk where I will come. So so the first thing that happens in this episode is that the (laughs) Mick Fleetwood and Stevie Nicks uh, beam up (laughs) from from a planet. And uh, the... They don't have any lines of dialogue. They beam up, they're in like a catatonic state because that's yeah. how they do space travel. So they don't even, just dress as a fish. You wouldn't even, you don't even actually need to have a dude in that suit. No. So uh, Pulaski's there and they, they, they have to, Captain Picard says, oh, can you sort out a bit of the med bay to, to keep these guys alive and going? And she's like, yeah, it'll take a few hours to which I'm like, you knew they were coming. They didn't yeah, ring the bell. Why are you not doing it? She O'Brien watch. He turns around to O'Brien and says, quote, can, you can store them for a few hours, right? And O'Brien says, sure, I'll keep them here out of the way. What, in a cupboard. <laughs> out of the way is like, the, the, the transporter room is very much the fucking front door of the Enterprise. Yeah. They're not out of the way. <laughs> like, I, I wish there was a coat hook in there and he just puts <laughs> them onto the side. There's there's a beautiful little moment that I wonder if anyone saw in its original airing, because obviously it was on standard definition, but Riker and Picard are in the transporter room in full Starfleet dress robes, and O'Brien is behind them, and he kind of looks at them both and then just smirks to himself because he thinks they look ridiculous. <laughs> when, what I love is they beam on board... Picard does like a full welcoming speech, and in line, and then they go, "Oh yeah," they, and then explains to somebody else that they're not going to answer because they travel in a catatonic space, and as if they're stupid. It's like, well, why did you bother doing your welcome oh. to the Enterprise speech, Picard? No, what they do, Eddie, is they travel in a catatonic status. Oh yeah, uh, uh, st- st- stasis. I wonder because I'm again, I, I'm coming around a bit on Pulaski in the last couple of episodes. Oh, she's been she was great in this episode. I have to give her props for that. Did, did the writers or Diana Mulder put that in to be like, look, when she said data, she wasn't being disrespectful. She just doesn't know how to pronounce <laughs> that type of A. Or alternatively, is there a new android who's been discovered called St- Stasis? And she's like, nah, not having that. <laughs> my, my guess is, uh, uh, here's my guess. They actually had some lines for Mick Fleetwood, and he was really bad. 
So they like the writers of the corridor outside going, no, 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 fucking Jesus. <laughs> like scribbling that out, handing it over to her. That was her first run. She literally, somebody's holding that line up off camera. Yeah. Uh, and they're like, look, we just say this once Mick's left the room. We can edit around <laughs> it. <laughs> um, the best thing about this episode is how much Worf really likes those fish people. Oh, yeah, he describes them as a handsome race, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, which is nice. And later on, um, Wesley tells him that he's um, handsome for a Klingon, Yeah, which is, um, I've, got, I've, I've got a little notebook that I make notes in as I'm watching this of stuff that I want to jump out. And, and that is, um, I believe, the seventh occasion in my notes for this episode where I've, I've used, I've written down the letters H and R next to each other. <laughs> uh this episode is a fucking HR nightmare. Yeah. So th- th- we haven't said what the, a- the actual plot of this episode is. Luxada Troy is having the Betazoid menopause and she's, they're going to a conference. They're taking the fish people and she's now the ambassador from Betazoid. So she's coming along as well. But the main reason she's there is because when Betazoids go through the menopause, it quadruples their sex drive and she wants to bang Picard. Oh, that's quadruple the plot. That's or more or more yeah or, or more, more. yeah <laughs> and, right, and, and when I say that's not when I say that's the plot that's not the B plot that's not a subplot that is the that is the only plot of this episode yep. everything else that happens that could be considered a subplot happens as a result of this because Picard tries to hide from her in the holodeck uh, that's where we get all the Dixon Hill stuff that doesn't which I get a G oh uh, when, 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 when he decides to go and hide in the holodeck and we cut to him at the holodeck panel and his Dixon Hill uh, gear, Laura shouted out, don't do your sexy roleplay Picard with Loxano on board. She'll want involved. You should have gone for a horse ride. <laughs> Later on in this episode, they have to go get Picard from the holodeck and before he goes, Riker, Data says to Riker, before we go get him, do you mind waiting five minutes? And that was apparently so Data could change to holodeck-appropriate clothing. <laughs> oh, man. We haven't said it for a while. This is a great Data episode. Oh, so, it was a great Data episode. Um, data, so I, I took a note here of something that, that I thought was really intriguing. So obviously Data is coded autistic. Yes. And they use that really well in this episode because, maybe not in the most positive way, but when <laughs> Picard is on a quote-unquote date with Loxana Troy he's like oh we need get, I can't have this tension so he gets data to come down to just explain to her how like part of the engine works or something and yeah. one of the things that don't want to say well, puts puts people off like for lack of a better term of conversations with people who have that particular type of ASD uh, is that often conversationally they will just rhyme off lists of facts it's called i believe the term is info dumping is what yeah. i've heard it referred to yeah but it's like uh, and, and i it, do it as well so. oh it, it's it's <laughs> legitimately a large part of why i want to get tested because i'm just like <laughs> I, I do that like i like i are you trying to tell me that isn't what a conversation is like a conversation is me <laughs> listing off some facts about the things that we're talking about and my opinions yeah. of them and then i expect you to return reply Apparently, and normal people don't wait for their girlfriend to come home from work so they can go oh, I'm glad you're here I've learned so much about bees today I don't know if I've told you man have you ever seen Man Park the SNL sketch 
Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have. Did you know Vin Diesel has a twin brother? Matt Balding? Dude? <laughs> yes. Yeah, that is, yeah, that's essentially my life. Like, I mean, <laughs> that, yeah. <laughs> well, a football team has 11 players, but a rugby team has 15 players. Having to explain to Emma why it's so exciting that there's rumours that Denzel Washington and Giancarlo Esposito are going to be playing uh, Professor Xavier and Magneto because the characters were originally based on Malcolm X and Martin Luther King. And if anybody gets upset about this, I will bitch slap the fuck out of them. (laughs) Verbally and physically, because it shows a complete lack of understanding of the actual basis of the characters. Anyway... uh... (laughs) Yeah, as I said, I watched Dirty Dancing (laughs) and then after it I went to the bathroom with my phone and I think I now know so much about Dirty Dancing, I could write a, a pamphlet. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, they, they, get, they, they initiate Data's cockblock mode. Um, yeah. And he comes in and boards. And then, um, and then Picard like, says, oh, thank God for you, Data. You've saved me from being ravaged by Luxardo Troy. And then um, later on, he does the exact same thing, talking to holodeck characters about World War II. Uh, <laughs> yeah. A subject they can't possibly comprehend. Uh, at least Data's talking to real people. Sean, look, do you not know how this works? <laughs> but no one's going to get... Why not put on sheets? If you just want to ha- just hang out in Dixon Hill's office reading the newspaper with fucking, like, the game turned off. You know the, um... You know the, the like, the, cra- the, the, the people... The, the, the crazies, again. Sorry for the <laughs> ableist term. But for the crazies you meet who are like, oh, the end is coming. It's, it's all coming. What if they are just playing, and we're just holodeck characters, and they are holodeck? Oh, right, and they know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what a War 3. Don't look forward to that. <laughs> oh, that's... So I I watched this episode, and while I was watching it, I had to text uh, Josh Weller, uh, future celebrity name drop and, uh, and consummate Star Trek fan, and I asked, "Are holodeck cigarettes dangerous? Okay, are they yeah. harmful? Because synthahol is what they drink." Yeah. So physical objects are done by like replicator technology. So that's a real cigarette. And I was going to bring that up. I've got a special note that we see smoking on TV, which is weirdly one of the few things that dates Star Trek. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's all futuristic in space, but the fact that you see somebody having a cigarette, I'm like, oh. That's not allowed. And also, yeah. Picard, who has never smoked before, I can't believe they're harmful because Picard has never smoked because they don't have cigarettes in the future. So yeah. why is his first drag of an unfiltered Marlboro Red yeah. not fucking destroying him from the inside? <laughs> when, in, in 2013-ish, when they made the Constantine TV show, which is how you pronounce his name, it's how they say it in the comics, he makes that point several times, and I once got a reply from Neil Gaiman on Twitter confirming it, um, they couldn't have Matt, because it was on at like a certain time before the watershed, they couldn't have Matt Reeves smoke as John Constantine. Literally one of the defining features of that character, right? Yeah. Um, so what they had to do for the first couple of episodes is like they'd cut to a scene of his like friend walking in a bar and he'd be like stubbing out a cigarette in an ashtray. Yeah. And then it isn't until episode like five or six that they actually show him walking into a scene where I let cigarette in his mouth. And I and I I would I I've never seen it. I would bet money that he never does it in leagues of Legends of Tomorrow. Uh, I I don't. I think there's a joke about him attempting to light a cigarette on the ship. <laughs> 
and the ship's like safety systems being like because because I, I think he then kicks off because like one of their characters is a flame guy and he's like well yeah. why not him and he's like well that's not like we we the ship's programmed for that <laughs> but yeah. I, I I absolutely love Constantine as a character because he's an angry scouse bisexual punk chain smoker who <laughs> by all by all actual like measures of power within the DC universe is one of the few people who can canonically kick the fuck out of Superman. Yeah. Because Superman's weak against magic, so John Constantine can just like put him in a bubble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, he was played by Jenna Coleman. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, he was. Great. Do it. It's Do brilliant. It. Give yeah. me that more. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, uh, did you notice that uh, when, at one point we cut back to the bridge uh, and uh, in Smiley Joe is up I on thought the that was. I thought Luxana was going to go for Smiley Joe. I oh, thought 100%. Luxana was going to come in. Wolf clocked that that was very much what he would consider a stunt situation. So yeah. he swapped out. <laughs> uh, I just think Wolf was busy looking at the fish. Oh, so here's a question for you, right? Bearing in mind that we know the the the, the hollow deck to be murderous. Yeah, is Picard choosing to risk his own life rather than have a conversation with Luxana Troy? Because <laughs> uh, okay. This is the thing I want to bring up, the, the thing I say about HR. Luxana Troy is an ambassador, which is an official position within the Federation. And she says she's going to host a dinner to welcome everybody to like her being on board the ship. And then only invites Picard. Yeah. Right, imagine you're, somebody in your workplace did that to you. Right? That's the quickest HR complaint ever. <laughs> Luxana, I don't care what you're going through hormonally. Yeah. Get a vibrator. You can't do this. Mr. Hom drinks a lot in this episode, and I think it's because of putting up with Luxana's bullshit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I agree. He's, he's, he's still chiming away. <laughs> Picard, Picard dates a virtual employee at a later point. Um, yeah. Fucking um, Riker gets sexually harassed on the, on, the, on, the, on the bridge of all places. When Alexander turns up on the bridge, Deanna Troy says to her, you can't just stroll onto the bridge. And I've written down, you shouldn't be able to. Yeah. You shouldn't even be able to take a turbo lift there. Yeah. It should be. It should require some sort of security clearance. Yeah. Is this, by the way, the first time that Riker and Troy admit to seeing each other? They've... We, 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 we obviously know that they've been well they won't they for a while it's super obvious but is this the first time they've said it out loud uh, I think that in the first episode it's established that they have had a previous relationship um, like but only telepathically with each other I don't know if it's ever been spoken out loud but it's one of those things I guess that like we haven't seen it on screen, but I guess Riker's probably had a conversation when he's arrived on the vessel when they've all first like shortly after that, in that first episode where he's gone. Just to make you aware, Captain, of a potential conflict oh, of interest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. I would imagine that's a conversation that's happened. Yeah. Uh but yeah, I think it's the first time it's been addressed to the like audience. Yeah. And it, and if you want, Captain, you can actually watch it on the on the archives. <laughs> If you want to get your personal relaxation light and then put it on a TV while you're in pretending to be Dixon Hill. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Just, just to go back to the fish people, uh, I think they were legitimately great aliens. Oh, yeah, fantastic. Like, they, they, they're not just forehead people. They look different. 
they act yeah. different, they are truly alien. And yeah. the reveal at the end, spoilers, if you're going to, if you've gotten this far into the episode and then went, oh, I don't want to know the end because I'm going to watch it. Uh, Loxana Troy reveals that they're assassins who were sent to blow up the the conference. And she's like, how, how did you not notice this? They were going to be offered a position in the Federation. Uh, and instead, they were there to, to blow it up, which just don't join. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, and, because... and I, I love the bit where, where she's like, well, their clothes are laced with explosives. That Did you, did you not notice? <laughs> and O'Brien's like, what the? No. Yeah. And then I, I love that because, right, because uh, let's be honest, as an Irishman, uh, an Irish transporter captain, there's two areas of, of expertise I would expect O'Brien to have. <laughs> One is transporters <laughs> and the other is explosives. Yeah. Um, but um, I, I do... That okay. So the entire episode is predicated on like Sada Troy constantly saying that everybody wants to have sex with her because that's all everyone's thinking about. And I was like, well, she's not a real psychic. It's fine. But then in the episode, end of the episode, they do this fun reveal, which is no, she does have psychic powers. She can immediately tell these two people are assassins. So does that mean that canonically, Picard is constantly try thinking of banging Luxana Troy? Well, no, because don't they bring that up? They say that during the Betazoid menopause that's what they all think all the time okay so maybe it's just a, a byproduct of her just i mean she already always thought that yeah yeah <laughs> is it is it just her psychic abilities being overpowered by her own relentless narcissism <laughs> yeah um, also I'm, I'm not i've not watched picard season two but would diana troy in that be about the age that luxana troy is in this well laura we watched Picard season one and Laura brought up that old Troy older Troy they kind of Luxana her up a bit like she oh, right. wears kind of boho-ish clothes so uh. it's it's kind of Luxana-esque but in her own with her own flair yeah so yeah she would be she would be she is about that age yeah well then Riker shouldn't be able to walk <laughs> <laughs> I think the death of a child is probably it's a it's a mood killer to say the least. <laughs> I I don't know what happens in Picard. So, uh, oh right, they they had two kids and I'd... one of them died. I can't really remember oh. how it happened. Uh, I, I I wasn't really paying attention. Oh right, okay, yeah. That's Picard fair. isn't very good. No, Picard season one isn't very good, and Picard two is apparently a fucking crime. <laughs> uh, second second name drop. Uh, Josh uh, texts me after the first episode of Picard season two and was like, "Oh my god, it's great! They've got the Borg back!" And then about six episodes later, he, he just uh, he texts me an apology. Essentially, <laughs> he, did, he didn't go as far as to say that, but uh, yeah, he he went after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard yeah many many things. The, the big reveal, apparently, is that 10 Forward, it's called 10 Forward, because uh, uh, Guinan named it after a bar she used to own on Earth that was um, number 10 on Forward Street. But it's not called that. It's called that because it's, it's the forward section of Deck 10, yep. which makes me think that the people who made Picard Season 2 didn't bother to, you know, watch Star Trek The Next Generation before they fucking made it. <laughs> Awful. Oh. Uh... Well, the, 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 I don't really have a lot to say about this one. I, I, I quite liked it, but I, there wasn't really a lot to pick apart. Uh, the fish people, the Antideans brought a slow cooker. That was interesting. Yeah, I yeah, slow cooker with some uh, dead B 
bits, dead bits of fish with a little thing underneath that wiggles them around so it looks like they're moving, but they themselves never move. I'm certain it looked great in standard definition, but in, 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 in high definition, it's obvious. They needed a little, that needs a little sprinkling of CGI over the top, I think, yeah. at some point in the future. Um, but I do have a genuine question about this episode, which is something I, I was thinking, is I don't get... I don't get what Luxana Troy is for as a character. Well, let me rephrase. I understand that what she is actually for is allowing Majel Roddenberry to appear in the show. Yeah. Um, but, like, she's an, so she's an overbearing narcissistic mother, which is a, a, an interesting trope to, like, have, I guess, for, like, maybe one episode. But the problem that you have with that is it's only, like, relatable content for people who have grown up with narcissistic parents. Yeah. Um, and people who have grown up with narcissistic parents and recognise that fact really, really, really don't like to be reminded about it. Um, <laughs> I'm just speaking for me. Um, yeah. But that's... It's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, no, it's like... It's played for laughs like from an outsider's perspective. But I just look at it and every time she stands up, I'm just like, I feel so sorry for Troy. Yes. Yeah. From, from inside, this is hell. Yeah. <laughs> she's, she's, she's a narcissistic mother who can get in your head so she knows what, that you're thinking that she's a rampaging narcissist. Yeah. Uh, and uses that against you in arguments. It's... I, I, I genuinely cannot think of a worse thing. I, I'd rather fight the Borg. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, Deanna Troy's reaction to detecting her mother is on this, like, shuttle that's turned up. Is the same like get out of your chair, we're in terrible danger that she does like when the fucking Borg turn. Up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I I have a, a a question about a tiny little detail that I saw in this episode, which is that when Picard and Troy and Riker are having the meeting in the ready room about uh you know Loxana wanting to, to get the one-way ticket to to pound town etc but uh riker calls picard captain now riker is allowed to call him jean luc uh he he pulaski i imagine geordi is as well because scotty was allowed to call kirk jim he just chose not to yeah which is a yeah. which is a character trait that I didn't realise until I watched an interview with Simon Pegg where he brought it up. I was like, that's pretty interesting. But but he is allowed to call him Jean-Luc uh, in, I imagine, certain circumstances. But And I thought that uh, Picard calling him number one rather than Commander or Mr. Riker is almost like a kind of recognition of when we are together and the rest of the crew are here, you do have to call me captain, but I'm going to call you number one because it's a term of endearment. Like, it's yeah, it's it's not your rank. It's you are my number one, right? But Riker calls Picard captain in that scene. So does he have to call him that when Troy is there? I don't know if he has to. I think that Picard would be fine with him do it, like calling him John Luke in those circumstances. But yeah. I think Riker does. It's a similar thing to like. So my thing with Scotty is I always imagined it that like I don't think Scotty is calling Kirk Captain instead of calling him Jim out of um, 
Like, I'm certainly does respect Kirk, but I don't think he's doing that out of respect for Kirk. I think he does that out of respect for the Enterprise. Ah, I think that, like, Scotty's thing is, this is a beautiful ship. You are the person who is in charge of it. That deserves respect. I I just keep it running. Yeah, Yeah. and that's like, and, 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 and he finds it a privilege to keep such a wonderful piece of machinery going in that thing. And I think with, like, uh, Riker, in that circumstance, he could have said John Luke. Yeah. But there's another crew member present, and even though it's Troy, who is, like, weirdly adjacent to the command structure, even though I think she's technically a lieutenant. Yeah. Um, it's that thing of, like... Speaking of which, shouldn't... You know how, like, the doctor's allowed to, like, be like, oh, no, you've been overtaken by a space bug. You can't be captain anymore. Shouldn't the counsellor also have the... No, he's, had, he's gone bonkers. Like, power. Yeah, I, I imagine it would be... I, I don't imagine the counsellor would be able to do it off their own back, but I think probably in conjunction with the... I think Troy could go to head Blasky. of medical and say yeah. he needs to go... <laughs> and the doctor, the head of medical, would then be like, "I can call, let's do it." And it, it yeah. would, it wouldn't just be head of medical's call. I think Troy could be the one to be like, "No, we have to do this." You, it's not really an option. I'm telling you that this is the case, and it's now up to you to use your power to actually do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. So yeah, I think that's the the dynamic that's at play there. I, I do have one troubling thing. I do need to to bring up about Picard and it's so I noticed in this episode and I'm slightly concerned about it okay we know that um, there has been reference to terrible things done by humanity um, from Picard but it's usually um, events that are in our future like they're fictional like things yeah. like the post atomic harbor and stuff like that Picard sits down with a bunch of holographic characters and they're talking about not wanting America to enter a second world war. And he lists off all the positives that come from America yeah. for um, like going into World War Two. And at no point does he feel that one of the positives he might need to bring up is, you know, ending the Holocaust. Um, in fact... Picard, as far as I'm aware, has never referenced the Holocaust. Which is bizarre because he's so proudly French. Yeah. Um, cause, cause unless, he was, unless he was Vichy French. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> it is interesting because what, what he says is technically correct. Like, it's... I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna to space this sentence out so that the Daily Mail can't just quote it. But... <laughs> World War Two happening as obviously the atrocities you know were, were horrible I, I don't think it's yeah. controversial to say that World War Two was a bad time for a lot of people but yeah let, I, I, well, we're going to come out right now and firmly state that we think the events that happened in World War Two were bad yeah exactly <laughs> but Picard, in what he says, is technically correct. We did become a much more technologically advanced species because of the things that were happening around the atrocities. Yeah, it's once you know you're facing an enemy that has no moral qualms and views 
science as key to their success in winning a war. It very much accelerates everybody else's fucking need to take scientific development seriously. Like you like you start putting a lot of money into fucking crazier and weirder things yeah. that you'd never have done and you invent radar and the computer uh, yeah. and rockets and yeah, shit exactly. like that. Um, but then equally it's bad that the Holocaust happened. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get that, Daily Mail? Yeah. Gonna have um, to put well, a lot had... of ellipsis in that fucking statement to to get me. I mean the the Daily Mail don't the thing is that you're forgetting, Mark, is that the Daily Mail don't think it was bad that the Holocaust happened. <laughs> so you should listen to this hip and happening new podcast. Uh, <laughs> they pointed out that John Luke Picard might be a Holocaust denier, and we're here for it. <laughs> oh Jesus! Is uh, it just because they didn't want to reference anything re- too real worldy? Because it's like that's the point where you run into maybe you're running a foul, foul of censorship. Like you can make up whatever m- m- bollocks you want to in the future, and it's not real. So it just you can get you can. You, I mean, you there's. Well, no, because there there is a way to, as we just did, there is a way to say that you don't even have to put in all the caveats we did. You could have him exactly say it and have Shakespearean actor Sir Patrick Stewart deliver that in a way where you can read through his tone and expression that, yes, these advances were great, but it came at a pretty terrible cost. He has then, a great if, face. Yeah. He could do and that. Then he, equally then sell but that terrible cost would be much worse if America doesn't enter the war yeah you know yeah yeah you can definitely do something but yeah it's but equally what Jesus Picard Picard's really bad at playing his favourite game by the way yeah I know because he's like I've I've, I've not got any money and this guy's pulled a gun on me and it's like well look first of all you've read the Dixon Hill books he doesn't die in any of them (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly so right it's it's not a fucking it's not a Neil Gaiman novel it doesn't start with him getting shot and then he has to solve his own murder from beyond the grave now to be Um, fair to Picard um, he has no way of knowing whether the holodeck safety mechanisms are on or not (laughs) no he's without without taking a bullet that's the test that's the litmus test he turned them off when he got on. It was like, if, I'm, if I finish this game, then I might have to marry Luxana Troy. Because apparently the concept that no is a complete sentence. Uh, like, again, this is like Gene Roddenberry all over. It's, ah, oh, older women, she's super horny, and consent isn't a thing. Yeah. Sorry, just to go uh, back. There's a, there's a really good uh, joke in this week's episode of Lower Decks about the holodeck safety mechanisms. Because they... <laughs> Although something did happen where I was like, oh, the fans ain't going to like that. So the characters have to find... Because uh, Lord X is canon. That's more controversial than that shit I said about World War II. <laughs> but uh, the, the characters have to find a shortcut through the ship to be another team of Lord Deckers who are trying to get somewhere to rig a competition in their favour. And the only way they can get there is through the holodeck but the holodeck is on. So they sneak into the holodeck and uh, Dr. Talana, I can't remember the Lord Deck character's names, and the the uh, Bajoran security guy, Ta- Trask, I think is his name, uh, they're doing like a Bonnie and Clyde situation. So they walk into like a black and white bank and there's lots of jokes <laughs> like, 
Oh, what is this thing? Oh, this is a bank. Oh, haha. hey, can I can I withdraw some pieces of paper that have no intrinsic value? It's a good bit. But then they're like, we're, we're not Trask and Delana, and it turns out they're doing Bonnie and Clyde, but they go in there to fuck, and the only way that they can get excited is to shoot guns with the safety off. So the three uh, lower deckers are like hiding behind a camera, and, and then uh, Trask kind of gets a bit worried about something. He loses confidence in something that Talana has said. So he says, Holodeck, freeze. And there's a bullet like inches away from Boimler's face. Uh, but that's not the controversial thing. The controversial thing is that they sneak around the teller's desk and open a trash can and it takes them out of the holodeck. Whereas we know from the Moriarty episode that you can't just get out when there's one on if the holodeck... Well, maybe the maybe maybe the holiday that was that was taken over by an evil Sherlock Holmes ghost. So, I'm I'm going to suggest that we know from modern Trek that in TNG that start they they reference that the holodeck is relatively new technology. Yeah, and I'm willing to bet that later versions of the holodeck have a fucking escape hatch in the back because they were like, how many times have people got trapped and or murdered in these? <laughs> how many people would have to die before they put an emergency exit on the holodeck? <laughs> It's here's the thing. We know it's definitely more than one. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like when the guy got shot in that Dixon Hill episode, the first one. That's the point where they should have been like, "Well, Geordie, can you put an emergency door in the back of this?" And then Geordie was just like, "No." <laughs> it's like we, we can't. It will stop working. It's like it'll be like having a dead pixel in the, on the TV. That little section will just always have a hatch in it, and it will ruin the game for a lot yeah. of people. And it's like, and they were like, oh, okay, that's fair enough then. Everybody, just sign a waiver before you go on. The <laughs> <laughs> I'm willing to bet anybody gets killed by the holodeck that Picard lies to their family. Yeah. He's like, writes the letter home. He's like, your son gave his life in the noble quest for knowledge. Yeah. He was killed by a slime monster on Crasen 4. Uh, <laughs> or, the, or the ones where they're like, uh, he died from gunshot wound. Picard got uh, time travel. <laughs> uh, we 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 landed on um, the the planet gun, uh, <laughs> where everyone also, and everything is a gun. <laughs> do do you think that because Data went away to to dress up? He, he's like, oh my god, uh, yeah, give me five minutes to go and change. Uh, do you think between the bridge or the, the wardrobe department on the Enterprise and the holodeck data was saying to Riker, I mean, come on, mate, play the game. <laughs> I Here's something. I Can you rig a transporter to change your outfit for you? Like, can uh, I just no. have new clothes beamed onto me? I mean, no. I that would be the point. Now I am all for I'd like making technology better, right? But the way that, the way that we know the holodeck works, sorry, the transporter room works. The last thing we want to do is combine it with a replicator. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. Yeah, uh, in case okay, you come what, out with a uh, yeah. cardboard box for a head. <laughs> um, I think that's everything we're gonna get on this one. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's I, I I read genuinely I, I it's not it's an all rightish episode, but its like main that. driving plot line is Gene Roddenberry nonsense that needs to stop. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah, and, and I, I I can't believe as a Star Trek fan I'm going to say this. I'm so glad he gets sick. Soon. <laughs> Fuck. 
He brought it on himself. I look look up look up why he got ill, yeah. and it's basically that he was on cocaine from Star Trek the Motion Picture onwards. Uh, and he stayed up to finish scripts. He was staying up late on amphetamines, which like how does that? How can you write? Uh, I don't. I don't get. I've taken MDMA and I've tried to write something down, and I end up throwing the pen across the room in a rage. <laughs> I mean, we've said it before, and we will say it again. Gene, thanks for everything, but you are the worst guy at Star Trek. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for everything, and please, please stop. <laughs> uh, I think that's it. Yeah. All right. right. Bye. Bye. The Captain's Slog is performed by Mark O'Neill and Eddie Edwards. You can follow both of them on Twitter and Instagram. Mark's at RealMarkO'Neill and Eddie is at Ed Edwards Comedy. If you like the podcast, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter and now on YouTube at Captain Slog. And we have a Facebook page as well. Or if you really like what we do here, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Captain Slog.